Welcome to this podcast from Penrith Church of Christ. If there is anything in this message that you would like to talk about further, please go to our website, www.cofcpenrith.org. That's www.cofcpenrith.org. Now let's listen to Pastor Dave Crocker. Hey, it is great to have uh, Pastor Craig back with us again, a regular feature here at, at our church. And Craig not only is a, a great friend of mine, but uh, what a lot of you won't realise is that more often than not on a Wednesday afternoon, Craig's actually in the office with us helping out and um, bringing his wisdom and, and skills to what we do as a church. And so it's a, it's a great blessing for us to have uh, really Craig around the life of church um, in more ways than just showing up occasionally to preach, which we always love. But just uh, your support to, to us as a church is fantastic. So I want to welcome you this morning as you come and share the Word of God. Thanks, mate. Thank you. Well, good morning, Penrith Church of Christ. Good to see you this morning. How are you doing? Yeah? How's this road doing? This side, all right? Yeah, you guys look all right. What about the middle? Ooh, I don't know. Maybe because Janelle's there, okay. What about this side of the room? Oh, of course, of course. Well, so good to be with you this morning. Uh, I consider this my church too. So if I just say we or us, it's because we're family. Amen. How about that first song? I like the first song this morning. Uh, It's talking about chasing um, God's love and grace keeps chasing me. Did you know that was a huge thought? over a thousand years ago, like that was a radical idea that there was a God who actually provided and chased you with love. Because back early, early back, you know, 2,000, 3,000 years ago, people had this idea that God was angry with them, that, that the gods were angry and you did whatever you could to try and please them. And of course, what you did was never enough. So this radical concept that all of a sudden the God of heaven and earth turns up and actually says, actually, I love you and I'm chasing you with grace and love and mercy. That God is actually for us was radical, huge idea. Uh, some, Some Christians still think that's a pretty big idea because you think God's actually angry with you. Uh, yeah, some, some religious folk, that's how they communicate about a God, that he's just angry with the world. But no... God so, yeah, God loves. You're worth dying for. So, Father, just this morning I pray and I ask uh, that you would just continually to teach us what it means to follow Jesus. Amen? Amen. Well, we're in a series called Inside Out. David started a couple of weeks ago. My sister preached last week, chip off the old block, right? Uh, Okay, or maybe not. Um, she's the better looking one in the family by far. And uh, so, um, yeah. Um, so I'm going to continue the series that David started. Did you know you're in a series? Okay, four people. That's great. Well, you are. And this is part two of Inside Out. Yes, fantastic. I want to start off by just telling a story about two people who decided to get fit and healthy at the beginning of the year. Anyone ever been like that? Yeah, well, one of those people, he made being fit and healthy a priority. Disciplined himself, got some 
exercise routine, even joined a gym, looked at his diets and, and, and started really focusing and to achieve his goal. Let's call this person disciplined, right? Then the other person started off with similar motivation, was really pumped in the first three months of the year, but after a while kind of drifted away and kind of lost motivation, just resided to the idea, well, maybe I was never meant to be fit and healthy. Let's give this person a name, call it a drifter. So here are two people who had similar kinds of goals and passions and intentions at the beginning of the year, but at the end of the year, ended off in two different places. How many of you know that sounds a lot like life, doesn't it? Sounds a lot like Christianity, I would even say. Yeah. See, one of the images here is I want you to think about is that of a distant person who says, this is what I want, this is what I'm going after, uh, and this is what I need to do to get there, right? And the other image is a drifter. This is a person who says, I want to go after something, but doesn't put the disciplines in place to get there, and they drift from their goals and their intentions. Yeah. Today I'm going to talk about that part of the body the Bible talks a lot about, the heart. Did you know the heart is mentioned over 1,000 times in the Bible? Yeah, I know, a lot, isn't it? 1,000 times, both in the New Testament and the Old Testament. The heart is a priority. Let's look at Mark chapter 12, verse 29. You guys are really aware of this verse because it's kind of what your core theme or the core motivation of your church is all about. You'll know this straight away. Matthew 12, 29, a religious guy comes to Jesus. He's a Pharisee schooled in the law and he asks Jesus a question and because back in the day there were eight common um, ideas that people would debate over and so inevitably when you read the gospels you will see a Pharisee a religious person asking one of these eight ideas and they debate over them. they ask questions that's the very semitic or Jewish way to kind of draw out the conversation and Jesus would often respond with another question This isn't a Jesus thing to do. This is a Hebrew thing to do. So this guy says, what's the most important thing in the law? And we know the verse in verse 29. I think it's up on the screen. Jesus answered, the most important command is this. Listen, people of Israel. That's the Shema prayer that's still prayed today. The Lord our God is the only Lord. Verse 30, love with all your your mind, your soul and your strength and to love your neighbour, as it goes on to say, which is what you guys are about, hey? We're about as a church. What are we about? Loving God, loving people. Now, what's interesting to me, why doesn't Jesus say here, love the Lord your God with all your liver? Love the Lord your God with all your kneecap. Yeah. I'll tell you why, because your liver is not that central part of one's body, is it? No. Now, obviously, when Jesus is talking here about your heart, he's not talking about that blood-pumping organ in the middle of your chest. But it's a great word picture because the heart is what brings life to your whole body. It's the central focus of what makes our bodies work. 
That's why Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart. It's who you are. It's the centerpiece. If your life was a shelf, your heart would be in the middle of it. It's how everything works within your life. Proverbs 4.23 says this, above all else. It sounds like a priority, doesn't it? Above all else, guard your heart, for it affects everything you do. Wow. There's this place that you can actually live from, the Bible says, your heart, your spirit. And it's independent from your uh, material possessions, your accomplishments, where you live, who you're surrounded by. Is that place deep within you that speaks and tells you whether you're living or whether you're dying. And that is the place where the Bible says you need to pay serious attention to. Above all else. Now, I want you to know that life and death in the scriptures, especially in the, uh, in the wisdom traditions of the Bible, are, are present modes of realities. Right? I want to rescue from the idea that we're alive, you're born, right? And you live, and then someday you die, and you're buried in a coffin somewhere, right? But rather in the Scriptures, living and dying are realities that you are stepping more and more into right here and right now. And both of these realities are worked out through your choices that you make every day. You see, listen. You can be dying, you can be ravaged with cancer, let's say, since that's one of the predominant diseases of our day. You can be physically ravaged moments from taking your last breath, but be more alive than ever before. You can be surrounded by health and wealth and material comfort, but at the same time, be dying. See, some of you may know exactly what I'm talking about here because everything in your life on the outside, it seems to be going really cool. You've got the house, you've got the car, you've got a job, you've got a family. But on the inside, if you're honest, you're dying. Because in the Bible, life and death are present modes of reality. Can you see why God is more concerned with the condition of your heart than the shape of your body? Think about this for a minute. Can you imagine what would happen to a society that got that back to front? They actually got more concerned with the shape of their bodies and what they wore, what they had and their surroundings than the condition of the heart. I reckon that kind of society would be highly medicated. Because on the outside it seems like they're alive, but on the inside, it feels like I'm dying. See, when you read the Bible, you get this real clear picture of what comes out of the heart. Let me walk you through some of these things, what the Bible tells us that reflects our heart. They're up on the screen, actually. Our desires. Your heart reflects your desires, your intentions, your motives. It, affects, it reflects your faith, your will. Your choices, your behaviour, your words. Yeah. Now, Proverbs 4.23 says what? Above all else, guard 
your heart. Can you see why it says that? Why it says, let's make your heart a priority here. Because it affects everything you do and everything about you. Yeah. Let me ask you this question. If I was able to perform an ECG test on your heart, not your, you know, physical blood pumping heart, but on your desires, your choices, your intentions, how would you think you went? Would it say, if I could flash it up on the screen, connect you to somehow some kind of machine that could measure the health of your heart, your spirit, your intentions, your choices, your motivations, would it say healthy? Or would it say beep, 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 warning, warning? (laughs) Yeah. Let me help you with this one. Let me give you a couple of symptoms of a hard heart. If your heart is getting hard, let me sort of help you with that. Number one. No. That's probably not on the screen. It's not, sorry. Symptoms of a hard heart. Just boot that one off. Yeah, thanks. Uh, number one, complains frequently. If, if you're someone that's constantly complaining, you're just like, you never ever seen that movie, Grumpy Old Man? No? Yeah, they're just constantly complaining. Everything's, there's something wrong with everything. It's too hot, it's too cold. I don't like the carpet, I don't like the chairs. Uh, I don't like Pastor David, I don't like this, and the world's fallen apart, the world's coming, you know, everything's a whinge, you know? Well, if you kind of just take a step back and think, maybe this is coming from my heart, because I never used to be like this. Yeah, number two, compares with arrogance. This is where you look at other people and rate yourself and think, I'm better than them because I have this, I've got that, you know, I'm like this. And you begin to compare and get your self-worth and significance out of other people's failures or other people's, they're not as good as you. Yeah, sign of a hard heart. Criticising others' styles and personalities. Find yourself always criticising because they're not like you because that's, that's ultimately how we judge people because we think we're right. So our sense of rightness and if people are not like us, then that's how we determine what's right and wrong, right? Okay, three people agree. The rest, you're still working on that one, but that's okay. Yeah, we begin to criticise other people's styles and personalities. Number four, we become callous to God's work. Remember when maybe you became, you were first a new Christian and someone gave their life to Jesus or you saw a miracle or you got some answer to prayer and it was like, wow! You've lost the wow factor. I'm sorry, but sometimes songs come into my head. One's coming right now, the Righteous Brothers. You've lost that loving feeling. That now it's gone, gone, gone. Baby, baby. No, answer. <laughs> yeah, the extraordinary has become ordinary now. The wow about creation and about life and, and the goodness of God, the gift of grace that surrounds you every day, 
you can't see it. Yeah. Number five, compromises, morals, values and ethics. How we do that, once what we stood for and what was important to us and what was clearly for us, there was a line, now we step over it and we justify it the whole way. We compromise. Yeah. Number six, can't work it, focus on worship. Now, <clears throat> I have some very particular thoughts on worship, as uh, Dave and others may know as well. Is this, that, do you know what, in the New Testament, Jesus never ever said to worship him in the Gospels. Not once. But 21 times, he said, follow me. In fact, he said, those that love me actually do what I say. So for Jesus, worship was always connected into action. We sang here this morning. Hello? So I don't want you to get confused because I, I want you to understand that passionate worship is someone we look at their life and we look at what they're doing because we can substitute singing for action, can't we? I've sung this morning, I'm following Jesus. No, you sang this morning. That's what you did. Worship to Jesus was always connected. So when I talk about you can't focus on worship, I'm talking about the work of God diminishes and we more begin to focus on our work. Number seven, chaotic with time. You're just busy. You're running around like a chook with its head cut off. You're just chaotic with time. There's no peace in your life. It's a symptom of a heart that's hardened. Um, number nine, your capacity to love is diminished. And today's lesson is brought to you by the letter C. Well, I don't know. It got raptured right then. Bang, it disappeared. <laughs> You're chaotic with time. And, and oh, sorry, eight. Hey, yeah, it is here. It just came back. You're concerned... You're concerned. It returned, the second coming. It, 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 you're concerned about the acceptance of others. Now, we all are to a degree, right? But you're overly concerned about what others think of you. Um, number nine, capacity to love is diminished. And number 10, you can't forgive others. Now, be careful with that one because I understand... That forgiveness is a process, it's not an event, is it? Someone hurts you, often you don't go, well, Jesus told me to forgive them and I forgive you straight away, right? Depending on the trauma and how harsh the hurt was, it can sometimes take many years to forgive a person. So the reality of forgiveness is always a journey. I'm on the journey. I'm not there yet, but my heart is healing, right? You with me? Okay, cool. Okay, so what causes your heart to harden? There's some symptoms. Let's, let's give you some real quick ones. Number one, a system that is turned in on itself causes your heart to harden. Let me read you a passage of scripture. Matthew 24, 12. This is Jesus speaking, talking about the, uh, the last days, the end times. 
more about talking about the time the disciples were taught, living in. He said this, Sin will be rampant everywhere, and the love of many, the old King James says this, will be waxed cold. Now, many of us don't know this, but if, to, to make a candle back in those days, you'd get a wick and you'd get some hot wax and you'd dip the, can, the wick in the wax and you'd pull it out, it'd go cold, dip it in, and you'd do it many times and the candle would get bigger and bigger. Right? So it's talking about this progression. It's talking about the, the analogies he's giving is your heart is being affected because you're in an environment and you slowly, it's like heating up the hot water, like how do you boil a frog idea, over time, unless you're guarding, unless you're paying attention, your heart can be affected. Anyone know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. If you don't guard your heart, you can find yourselves getting adjusted to the kingdom of this world and boycott the kingdom that Jesus is trying to usher in right here, right now. Yeah. If you read the Bible as it's supposed to be read, it's it's letters, poetry and stories. How do you read poetry? As poetry. How do you read a letter? As a letter. How do you read a story? As a story. So can you see when people say, this is what the Bible says? without a sense of context in how it was written, who it was written to, can you see how you can actually mess it up? (laughs) We can totally mess it up. So when we look at the Bible, you see it's a progression in history. It starts off to a very barbaric culture that did some pretty barbaric things. Would you agree? Brothers sleeping with sisters and offering... Uh, daughters up to have fathers to have sex with and it's just I love the Bible it doesn't hide anything it wants you to know this is where people are at but the whole time God is trying starts through Abraham usher this new kingdom a kingdom not built on power and violence and oppression but a kingdom built on love and surrender on humility right In fact, why was Jesus hung on a cross? Because he ushered in this new kingdom. He says, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Yeah, if someone hurts you, you hurt them back. Right? And this is cycle of violence. You hurt me, you bomb me, I'll bomb you. You got me, then I have to do it back, but maybe a bit harder this time. Right? That's the kingdom of this world. Jesus said, you've heard that said, but now I tell you, love your enemies. (gasps) What? Forgive those who hurt you. Love. He takes it up a notch. See, this is what we're here for. Churches are here to reflect the love and grace and passion of God because he's chasing people with grace and love, right? Yeah, and what begins to happen is we can get caught up in this system and begin to take on some of the thinking that's obviously worldly. So when it's talking about worldly, it's not talking about people, it's talking about a system. Did you know that because you live in Australia, you are the 20% richest people in the world? You're in the top 20. Did you know the top 20% of the world use 
80% of the world's resources. So make no mistake, when the Bible talks about the rich, it's talking about you and me. And do you know why they use, and you know what happens when they use all these resources? What automatically happens is oppression. Because over in other countries, we've got people like some of you go and go, guess what? I found a bargain at Target. I got this shirt for $3. It's probably because someone's in slavery making it for you. So we don't even know it, but we are oppressing people by the lifestyles that we're living. Now, I'm not telling you that to feel guilty. I'm telling you that because there's things that you can do about that and become aware of that because we're not of this world. Right? Think about following Jesus for a second. I'm, I'm sort of going off to the side a bit, but what, what was Jesus' major thing? What did he do? To, to follow Jesus, what does that actually really mean? I'll tell you what he did. He was an advocate. He stood up for the marginalised and the oppressed, the poor, and the religious people hated him for it because he broke all the rules. He touched people you weren't supposed to touch. He met with people you weren't supposed to meet with, which was the law of the day. Right? He was an advocate. He stood up for people. That's what we're called to do. And you know what? When you stand up for the marginalised, the poor, the oppressed, when you begin to make lifestyle changes that do that, you will inevitably always get crucified. I think sometimes Christians, we get, we get judged or crucified for the wrong things. We get crucified or judged for our self-righteousness and our moral stance. Jesus never got crucified for that. He got crucified because he stood up for people that you're supposed to be indifferent to. Yeah. Think about this for a minute. Think about salvation in the New Testament. All the pictures of salvation in the New Testament with Jesus Here's one of them, Zacchaeus. He's a a tax collector. He's ripping people off. He's trying to get ahead because the more money I have, the world says, the better off you'll be, right? So he's robbing people. He's doing whatever he can. He's ruled by greed. Jesus comes to his house and he jumps up on the table and he says, right, everything I've stolen, I'm going to give back. All the stuff that people have ripped off, I'm going to give back. And what did Jesus say? Surely. Salvation has come to this house today. What? I thought salvation is come out the front, confess Jesus Christ as Lord, forgive that your sins and you'll be saved. Every account in the, when you look at Jesus' life, salvation happened through all of a sudden transferring from one kingdom mindset to another kingdom mindset. I used to steal and oppress people but now I love and I give and I help those that can't help themselves. So we get a hard heart when we begin to allow our hearts to be waxed, waxed with another kingdom, but we're called to the kingdom of God. Amen? Number two, preoccupation is also what causes our heart to harden. Some of us get so preoccupied with something that we can't get our mind off it. You know what a preoccupation does? 
It draws our greatest attention. It draws our greatest energy. It draws our greatest affection. And we begin to skim over the areas that are super important in our life. That preoccupation may be a business. It may be a hobby. It may be a relationship. But you just can't get it out of your mind. And it draws your energy and your time and your affection and your attention from those things that are incredibly important, like nurturing one's heart. I used to live in Orchard Hills. Just a shout out to the Donnellys there. Um, but I used to live in Orchard Hills and when I was there as a kid, we had gravel roads. They, they weren't tarred or sealed, but they were gravel roads. And I remember one of my first jobs is I got a job working um, at a juvenile detention centre as a youth worker. And I was driving to work one morning in my car along this gravel road and a rock flicks out from wherever and comes into the back of my windscreen and smashes my back windscreen. Hello, you're normally front windscreen, but back windscreen. Now, I did it, I, was, I had to get to work, so I just kept driving to work, and from work I run, rang up windscreen O'Brien and they took care of it. But imagine that I got totally preoccupied with that. Like every single time I drove past a gravel truck, I wound down the window and put out my hand and gave them the international sign of displeasure. <laughs> that I went to my front of my house and did a big sign saying, I hate gravel. And every time I'm at church welcoming people in, in the back of my head, I'm thinking, is this person in any way connected to the gravel industry? Now, you may laugh, but that's what we do when we get preoccupied. It rules our thinking. Someone hurts us and resentment just overshadows us. Yeah. Here's another one. Busyness. <laughs> you know what? It's really funny. Everyone thinks they're busier than everybody else. Mainly these days when you say g'day to someone, how are you going? I'm busy. Really, I'm Craig, busy. What's your last name? Very. Uh, everyone thinks they're busier than everyone else. I had a mate one day who was um, unemployed and I go, well, you know, let me help you get a job. He said, I've got no time for a job, I'm too busy. Busy. <laughs> it can be, uh, how your heart? gets hard. You know what I've discovered about the devil? If he can't stop you, stop you, he pushes you. Gets behind you, starts pushing you. Oh, I've got to stop. Look out. Look at my heart. No, I can't. Too busy. Too busy. Too busy. You've got to spend time with your family, your parents, your kids. No, I'm too busy. Got this to do. Got this to do. All the things that flow from your heart that is good and brings vitality and relationship and love too busy for. He's pushing you to do all these other things. Matthew 7, it's not on the screen on the last day. Many people say to me, Lord, Lord, we spoke for you. We did this to you. We were really busy. I will say clear to them, get away. You do evil. You never knew me. It appears you did a lot. You are busy. Good on you, as Dave Hughes would say. Yeah but I never knew you. You didn't take care of what was important. So here's some pictures of what God wants our heart to look like. 
Here's a scripture for Ezekiel. And I'll give you a new heart with a new and right desires and I will put a new spirit in you. I'll take out the stony heart of sin and give you a new obedient heart. So how do we get that tender heart, that soft, obedient heart? Let me give you a couple of action steps here. Is that okay? I love playing sometimes around with words. So this is an acronym, soften a hard heart. Number one, select what's valuable and what's vulnerable. See, if you don't determine that your heart is valuable, your spirit is valuable, and you need to give it your greatest attention, then you'll give everything else your attention. And everything else that I've discovered in this world is vulnerable. I remember reading a suicide note. It went like this. I woke up. I had accomplished everything I ever wanted to accomplish. And I realised I lost everything I really needed. Um, I went to school in the city. And where I went to school, Newington College, was... Uh, Football union uh, was big. If you made first grade, you were like, walked around with your chest out. I made first grade. Praise me. Um, But you got presented with this jersey that was different to everyone else. And I remember when I got presented to and I hung it up in my wardrobe. What? Sort of glue. You know, I worshipped it. It was like, uh, I wasn't a Christian back then, so it was okay. And I was looking at it and I think, man, I finally, I've got... The jersey, and I remember running on and, you know, you walk around and everyone knew you were in the first 15, right? It was valuable to me. It gave me a sense of significance and value. You know, I remember years later, I wanted to wash my car and in the bottom of the rag bag was my first 15 jersey. And I got it and I ripped it and I started to clean my car with it. Something that once I thought was so valuable was actually quite vulnerable. Yeah. Number two, openly admit that you have a hard heart and ask God to soften it. You know what? When you say to God, you know, I think my heart's getting hard, God's not going to, you're not going to take God by surprise. When you say, God, you know what? I've got a hard heart. He's not going to go, what? You're kidding me. What a crack up. The whole time I thought you were doing so well. No. God knows. He knows everything about you. Admit to him what he already knows. Here's some prayers of David when he comes before God. and Probably why he's known in the Bible as the greatest king that ever lived. He says things like this. Uh, have I got it up there? Maybe not. Um, yeah, I have. Next slide. Yeah. God, examine me and know my heart. Test me and know my nervous thoughts. See if there's any bad thing in me. Lead me on the road to everlasting life. Create in me a pure heart, God. And make your spirit right again. Make my spirit right again. Here's a a guy that's just throwing it all out. Just admitting to God that, hey, this is where I'm at. It's okay. It's all right. God knows. Number three, the F in this acronym, 
Forget the things you can't control. Forget the things you can't control. You can't control people. Hello? I know some of you think you can, but you can't. That's why you're so frustrated and feel so miserable. You can't. Husbands, you can't control your wives. You think you can. That's the delusion. And wives, you can't control your husbands. Although my wife can control me sometimes, I've got to admit that. This, this should be a part of our DNA. Forget the things you can't control. Anyone ever prayed the Lord's Prayer before? Our Father? No, you don't know it? Do you want me to read it to you? What are you teaching them here, David? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So this is about resting and stopping to say that there's something bigger than you going on here. That's the first part of the prayer, right? But listen to the second part. Give us this day our daily bread. What's that all about? It's about being present here today. It's about today. It's about now. It's about here, right? But then it goes on and talks about the past and the future. It says what? Forgive us our debts. What's forgiving our debts? What's in the past? And for those that have heard us, it's the past. And lead us not into temptation. Right? It's all about the future. So the Bible here in our Lord's Prayer, something that we use as a lens to look through at the world, is telling us, stop. Understand there's something bigger on going on besides you. Be here. Don't get caught up in the past. And don't get caught up in the future. Learn to be fully present right here, right now. Our heart gets hard when we're not here. Some of you possibly are physically sitting here, but your heart is somewhere else. Maybe you're eating lunch right now. Maybe thinking of all the to-do lists that you have. And you know exactly what I'm talking about because some of you, you've had children and it's saying mum, mum, mum or dad, dad, dad four or five times before you actually dial in and become present. Hello? Why? Because you're somewhere else and when you're somewhere else, you're not here. And you're missing out on the grace and the mercy and the awe and the beauty of the present moment because you're stuck in the past or in the future, which ultimately creates either guilt or anxiety. But I'm not talking to people that wrestle with that in this church. I can tell. Number four, the T is tune into a consistent time with God. What are you in this area? Are you a disciplined or are you a drifter? One of the things that I've worked thinking about weights is growth takes time. But tune into a consistent time with God every day. And you know what? There's no particular remedy for that. 
Everyone has their own deal in that, right? For some, it's walking for half an hour or 10 minutes and you're just silent. For others, it's reading your Bible and others, it's going through some ritual of prayer or whatever it is for you, but it's all about just taking time out and realising our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Yeah, you're, you're here, you're with me. You want to speak to me. That's all, that's all prayer is. For me, prayer is often help. <laughs> yeah, or this is awesome, help me see, whatever. It's, it's no big deal. If you're getting screwed up about Read E.M. Bounds on prayer and it'll screw you up, right? Because it's like a book that thick on prayer and straight away you go, oh my goodness. <laughs> I'm just not that smart, right? I'm a few peas short of a casserole, so it's got to be simple for me. Have you ever had the experience where you, you did something or something happened and you went, oh, I knew I shouldn't have done that. Anyone? Six of you? Okay. The others just bear with me. But see, that, that is that, that's your heart. That's your heart already telling you what you should have done and you, your heart already told you but you're too busy to listen and stop. I can't tell you how many times that's happened to me. And the times that I stopped and listened, man alive, it saved me so much pain and heartache. The times that I didn't, it cost me financially. It cost me a whole bunch of things. And you know exactly what I'm talking about because you can pinpoint moments in your life where you walked away and I knew I should have said that. I knew I should have done that. You knew. Above all else, guard your heart. Make it a priority. Stop. Listen. In, in, the, in the New Testament, it says you don't need anyone teach you because you have an anointing from the Holy Spirit. In other words, His Spirit is in you. Isn't it funny how sometimes we even sing songs. God, I just want more of you. Give me more peace, more power, whatever. Rubbish. There's no more to get. You've got it all. You have the fullness of the Godhead bodily living in you now. So when you go, God, I just want more of you, God's going, I can't give you any more. You've got all of me now. But the lie is to believe there's this carrot and you strive and disappointment, discouragement, but it's so much more free when you go, whoa, when you trip over a speaker. Whoa, that you already have it. The same power that rose Jesus from the dead dwells in your mortal body. Wow, do you need any more power? Hello? You've got it all. <laughs> all right, last point. Oh, no, second last. Enlist the help of others. Oh, look at the time. Sorry, sorry. James 5.16. Confess your sins to each other 
and pray for each other so God can heal you. When a believing person prays, it has great power. Why do you confess your sin to each other? It's how you get healed. It's how you get healed. You need others. God did not put you here to be a lone ranger. He put you here to be in community with others. Yeah, enlist the help of others. Let somebody know that you trust and will not blab it to the rest of the world and you talk to them. Say, dude, this is hard for me right now. I've been carrying on this way. I've been whatever it might be. And tell someone. You'd be surprised how God will begin to work in your life when you enlist the help of others. God always, always doesn't work independently by himself. He always works through people. God wanted to heal the world, he sent his son. Always uses flesh and blood. Number six, never underestimate the cost of spiritual intimacy. I wish I could make this last point sound really easy for you. But there's a cost. If you want to have a soft heart, there is a cost. I reckon whatever it takes to to soften your heart is worth every second, right? Because above all else, it's worth the cost. Your heart is valuable. I mean, here's the truth for those that might feel that their heart is hardened right now and you kind of feel a bit lost and you're kind of stuck. Here's the truth. There is a way out. That's the good news. There's a way out. It may seem like you can't get out. You can't break out. Um, But you know what I want to say? This is how you get out. You can't sneak out. You got to bust out. You got to be like Zacchaeus, jump up on the table and bust out. Think about when you have, if if you've ever suffered a heart attack, right? Then what happens? There's a cost. You all of a sudden have to come disciplined. You have to take drugs every day. You have to get monitored every day. You have to go through surgery. It costs you financially. It costs you in time. It costs a whole bunch of things when your physical heart, something happens to it, it breaks. When your heart gets hard and you want to soften it, you've got to take the time. Yeah. So let me finish by saying this. Are you disciplined or are you a drifter? It's not easy, is it? In order to have soft heart, you need to apply some of these things. If we did an ECG test on you right now, would you need to rush off to Dr. Jesus and get some things sorted? Why don't you close your eyes for a second? Series all about inside out. It's all about back to front. The world tells us it's all about the outside. But Jesus says it's backwards. It's all about the inside. How's your inside? How's your spirit? How's your heart? 
Maybe over time you've built up some calluses towards your, the most important person in your world, your husband or your wife. And there's these underlying issues, resentment, unforgiveness, scorecards, denial, uh, withdrawal, a whole bunch of things. And you know exactly what I'm talking about. And every time you've brought it up, it always ultimately ends in disaster, more hurt, more brokenness, more trauma. But you're dying on the inside. There is a life. That's the promise. There is good news. There is a life that you can have. There is a freedom. There is a joy. But suppressing, pushing. Jesus said, you're dying. Your heart's worth the effort. Holy Spirit, I know you're doing stuff in people's lives. Give them courage, I pray. Give them courage. We want to truly be people that follow you. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Penrith Church of Christ. If there was anything in this message that you would like to talk further about, please go to our website on www.cofcpenrith.org. That's www.cofcpenrith.org.